and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Tim Sackett, author of Talent Fix, A Leader's Guide to Recruiting Great Talent, president of HRU Technical Resources, and chief storyteller at Fistful of Talent blog. Among the many other things he's done, I could probably spend the whole podcast listening to him, Tim, but thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for having me. So I thought we could start by maybe having you tell me a little bit about your HR story and how you got here today. I tell people like I was raised in talent acquisition. My mother actually started the company that I run right now over 40 years ago and single mom, two kids and just grinding, starting kind of a recruitment agency back when, you know, women didn't really start companies. And if they did, it wasn't a technical company because we did all like engineering and we still do engineering IT, you know, stuff. And, um, and so it was really interesting to be, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old and be sitting on her bed, listening to her to make recruiting calls because that's what we did. I mean, she would turn the volume off on the TV and my, my sister and I would sit there and watch, you know, muted TV while my mom made, you know, like recruiting calls. Um, and then I, you know, I grew up never thinking I would, you know, go work for my mom and then started working for my mom. And then um, I, one of my accounts was General Motors and um, one of the HR leaders at one of the plants befriended me and was really trying to like, try to find like, oh, I'm trying to groom my replacement. And when you're young, like, I think I was just like, I'm like, you know, so he talked me into getting my master's in HR and it was like, and, and he was like, oh, and, I, my, and the whole plan was I was going to come take over for him. And people are like, well, weren't you working for your mom? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you don't, when you're, when you're young, you, you're stupid. You don't think like that. You're just like, oh, I'm going to go be the head of HR at GM. And, and then all of a sudden it hits you. Like after I got my master's in HR, it was like, but then my mom, you know, um, was actually like, no, you really probably do need to get some like, you know, external experience before you run this company. And so I started in a full career in HR and never thought I would go back to work for my mom. And then I got a call that she had like a health problem and, and she was like, look, I'm going to sell the company or do you want to run it? And so then I came back and did that. So I had like two careers, one kind of running a recruiting agency and then run, you know, one that was corporate HR, talent acquisition, the whole kind of gamut across like enterprise HR. That's fascinating and it definitely lends itself to understand why you have such a hustle uh, having a single mom, <laughs> right? You've got all these side gigs. I, oh, I yeah. list all the other things you're involved in, but- I People like, I mean, cause I've done really well for myself and people always like, oh, well, it's because your mom had her own company and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I would eat like fruit loops with like water. And then someone goes, right. oh, so you had fruit loops and like, shut up. Like, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you had brand name fruit loops. <laughs> um, yeah. They were the ones in the plastic bag, not even the box. Like, um, but like, you know, so yeah, it's like, I, you know, kind of grew up with a mom who hustled and and just had that work ethic and, you know, and it, you just, you never really leaves you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we could talk about anything today, but I thought we could focus on um, what so many are calling it, including yourself, the great retention. You know, how are recruiters addressing the great retention right now? 
I don't know if recruiters really are. I think what recruiters are in this like despair of they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They just, they're on the treadmill and it gets faster and faster and faster. And they wake up in a cold sweat um, every single day with more wrecks than the day before. And to so for me, the great retention is about how to get them off that, you know, that, that treadmill, because I think we can work ourselves to death on continuing to replace people. But I've always had this philosophy and it was in my book, like the best recruit that you ever make is the one you don't have to, right? If I'm able to save any candidate that works for us hourly to like a highest level executive and have them stay with us, it's one less person I have to hire. Um, ultimately, talent acquisition's job or HR's job should be to, to not have to have us in talent acquisition work so hard or not even to have to have us have a function, right? Like, I mean, if, in, in the best case scenario, maybe, you know, you know, we don't have to have recruiters. And right now, I mean, I think LinkedIn recently is like the other day was like, put someone put like, it was like 14,000 new recruiter yeah. or 21,000 new recruiter jobs in one day on LinkedIn. And people were kind of losing their minds about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, because there's not one company on the planet, you know, well, they're probably on the planet in America <laughs> that's not hiring right now. Like everybody's hiring. Do you think that this is going to change the role of the recruiter as we see it now? I mean, I think for a long time. So as we think if we go, if we go backwards a little bit to like the Great Recession and during the Great Recession, TA teams just got obliterated, right? We let everyone that was in TA pretty much just got laid off and we had high unemployment. And then little by little over the next kind of eight to 10 years, we've built like these gigantic TA teams. And in many companies, the TA team rivals the HR team in terms of size, right? And, and in many companies, it used to be CHRO and then somewhere, you know, talent acquisition fell under the CHRO. And now a lot of companies, you have chief people officer and CHRO because talent has become so important for organizations. And so you know, I, I, I continue to see us getting better and better on the corporate side of TA. And I think that's the real push. If you're an, if you're a CEO, COO, CFO, you're, you know, you should be looking at your HR team in, in, in talent acquisition team and saying, why aren't we world-class? Why, aren't, why isn't this function a competitive advantage for us? Why aren't we going out and hunting talent? Because what I see is about 90% of, of corporate America, and this is really, this is more of a worldwide kind of epidemic, is still post and pray. Post a job, pray somebody applies. And if they don't, we just look at our, you know, the hiring manager and go, sorry, like, I don't, we, you know, we've done everything we can. And you're like, no, you haven't. There's a trillion dollar industry that actually recruits because you're not recruiting. And why is that the case? You know, I could not have agree more. I, I definitely have done that early in my career, the, the post and pray. I love that expression. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you, you evolve and you learn like, wow, there's so much more to it than just that. Yeah. Um, or, it's, or it's even executive saying, oh, we only hire the best talent. Yeah. But then you see how they actually recruit and you're like, you're actually not hiring the best talent. You're hiring the best of the talent that applied to your job at the moment that you had an opening which actually could be actually the worst talent, right. like, you know, but you're, you're, you're like, so you're kidding yourself believing that you're hiring the best talent because you don't even know who the best talent is. So you just to change the subject a little bit, yeah, you yeah. recently wrote a blog post titled, um, what's your save strategy for 2022? Yeah. Why is it so important that we think about saving employees right now, you know, and, and how is that different than 
retaining employees because I think they can go hand in hand, but I think this is definitely a different way of addressing what we're seeing now in our organizations. Yeah. If we think about like this, this great reshuffle, great resignation, I don't think I always say people say, Oh, it's a great resignation. I'm like, well, they resigned to go start another job. Right. Like they, <laughs> isn't it, it's not like they resigned not to work anymore. Um, so more, it's kind of like, we're just, re, you know, moving the chairs around on the Titanic, right. It's just reshuffling. Um, when I, when I think about saving somebody um, that's going to leave us so often, we have the psychological barrier, especially hiring managers are really bad at this where they go, Oh, Tim decided he put his two weeks in. And he's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to tear my, my clothing and he's dead to me now. And he sucks anyways. And um, it was interesting when I worked in corporate HR and talent acquisition, we would go through twice a year and we would force rank um, all of our talent. Right. So we knew, Hey, this is our number one performer down to, Hey, you're, you're the worst performer on our team, yeah. you know? And, and so off. So then what we would have, right. Is twice a year we'd go through and it's pretty, it would be pretty consistent, right? Your top performers usually stay top performers, your middle performers stay middle and so on. And yet, as soon as a top performer would leave or, or say they were going to leave, all of a sudden the hiring manager would come back and say, well, they were really a, a, an average to below average performer. I'm like, no, no, no. You had them ranked number one. <laughs> you are lying right now, but we have this psychological barrier. So for us, it was, if we really know the true cost of what it costs when someone turns over, then what are we willing to, to put into that? So let's, let's just say for argument's sake, it cost us $25,000 to replace somebody. We, we, that's just a made up number. You, everyone has their own equations, blah, blah, blah. But let's say I could save somebody for 10,000. Don't I make out better that way, right? Don't, isn't that smarter? And yet so often when we take people and take them and develop a safe strategy and we start to have these conversations with the person and with executives, sometimes it's really low, if, sometimes not even dollar amounts. Like I had, when I, I, worked, I worked at HR with Applebee's and we had, um, so we were constantly trying to save our management teams. And, our, and we could say a great management team made a million dollars a year for us as a company and a bad management team might cost us a half a million. So it was, it was critical, right. That we had kept our good managers and I had a kitchen manager. She was female, single mom, had one kid. The kid started to play soccer and he has games on Saturday morning. Well, the general manager of that restaurant was going to have her come in every Saturday. She had to open the kitchen. And so she was quitting to go across the street to work for Chili's because that person would give her Saturdays off. So she could go watch her kid play soccer. That was it. That's the only reason she was leaving. And she was an A player. And I literally wanted to strangle the GM. <laughs> and we said, like, okay, look, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen for you. And uh, and like the GM was just beside them. Well, if we do that for her, then everybody's gonna want Saturday off. And we're like, no, they won't. They don't have the same issues. Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> Stop this. I'm gonna fire you now. I'm like, <laughs> no, but like, so and, and so there to me, the save strategy, and you will never save everybody. But like at Applebee's, we were up to 40%. We saved, and then we measured save as they actually stayed after we did whatever we did, right? Had the meetings and the discussions and negotiations. If they were with us a year later, that was considered a save. It wasn't like, oh, well, they saved for two more months and then they left. That wasn't yeah. considered a save, right? Um, and we were at 40%. So, so if we had 100 people come to us and say, hey, I'm putting my two weeks in, we were actually able to save 40 of those. Like it was insane. And again, People always ask me, well, like, well, what did you do? And, and we're like, look, if, if somebody works for you and they put their two weeks in 
in that two weeks, you can do anything you want. I mean, they work for you, you're paying them, right? And so we would literally fly them to the corporate office and the CEO and CHRO and COs would, I mean, they would change meetings. Like this was number one priority and they would come. And a lot of times the feedback we got from like these leaders or, or managers were like, I had no idea the CEO cared that I stayed. And I just sat for an hour and a half and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a company that has 125,000 employees, you know, and is over a billion dollars in revenue. And, and you're like, yeah, because you're the, because when, when our CEO says our talent's the most important thing for the company, they, they're actually putting the word, you know, the actions behind the words. Yeah. You are the most important thing. Without you, we don't have a great company. And so often that becomes kind of the stickler for safe strategy because always like the CEO is kind of like, okay, yeah, great. Let's put that together. But I don't want to talk to anybody unless right. they've gone through like 14 levels, right, of, of meetings. And you're like, it doesn't work that way. That, that's not an effective safe strategy. <laughs> yeah. I am continuously amazed as, you know, HR continues to evolve and become more strategic. The conversations I'm having with people that, you know, we've had this one size fits all approach for so long. And now we're moving more to a one size fits one. And there's still some of that old school thought is like, if I do it for this person, I have to do it for everybody. And that's, that's just not the reality anymore. Well, it, it, I mean, it was more of a, a strategy that worked for us in HR, not for the employee, right? right? It was like, it made it easier for us. It's like, oh, well, you're, you don't want to set precedent. I mean, when I first got in HR, I heard that every day don't set precedent. And then you're like, wait a minute, we're setting precedent every day with every decision we make. Right. <laughs> and you realize, so I, I love that one size fits one because it, it definitely is the case. Now I do, I do think generationally, right. Um, Gen Z, younger millennials, there's a, there's a level of personalization that they expect out of us now that wasn't expected from geriatric millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers. Like we just had, whatever happened to us, happened to us. Like, you know, our, our bosses would come to us and say, you need to work Saturday till 9 PM. You're like, okay. And right. you just go home and tell your wife, like, yeah, I got to work till nine on Saturday. They're like, okay. Like, it was like <laughs> Yeah. And you, you totally teed up my next question, which is all about employee experience. You know, that's such a, a buzzword, but such an important concept right now. I'm curious mm -hmm. your perspective of um, you know, I think having good employee experience starts with having a great candidate experience. So as you, you know, have this recruiting space that you are kind of living in all the time, what is a best in class candidate experience look like right now? You know, I, I just, I just, um, we just talked about this on, on my pod. I, I mean, so I, I have a, a podcast called HR famous and it's a little bit tongue in cheek because, you know, um, being HR famous is, is not really being famous. Um, <laughs> But we just talked about this and I, and I threw out the concept of if you use um, Uber or Lyft, right? And Uber or Lyft made it, we actually are comfortable now waiting. If you think back before Uber and Lyft and you would call a cab and they would say, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll be there in like 15 minutes. And then 15 minutes turned into 18 minutes and you, you lost your mind. Like, why aren't they here, right? And now I look at my phone and see the car, like, okay, it's at this intersection, it's just down the road. Oh, they must be stuck in traffic, whatever. Like you, the map has made it okay for us to wait. Like we don't, we don't even get upset about it. It's like, oh, it's three minutes. Oh, it just turned to five. And, you know, but you're seeing the person actually move. And to me, candidate experience should be that. We should, if I'm a candidate, I should be able to know where I'm at and where it's, and when it's moving, when it's not moving, how long. And if we could deliver that level of the Uber map experience to candidates, 
that's really candidates actually have a really low expectation. They want to know, did you get my resume application? Are you interested? <laughs> if yes, when is the interview going to take place? Did the interview take place? Yes. Okay. Are you, are, am I going to get an offer? <laughs> like, I mean, they're, they're not asking for a lot. Like they're not saying, Hey, send me a fruit basket. Right. right. Um, they just want to know, did I get the job or didn't get the job? Are you interested? Are you not interested? Like the bar is so low to deliver like just an okay candidate experience. And yet when you take a look at the data, so often candidates, their most, their, their biggest gripe is, I applied to a job and never heard a thing, or I, I interviewed and never heard a thing. How could you interview somebody and then not let them know yes or no? Like, I, I, I don't even know. And people will go, oh, well, you know, our system sent them an email. By the way, like, our candidates don't, they don't see that as being communicated to. Right. You could send them a text message and they'd be like, oh, cool. Okay. I got it. You know, thanks. You know, maybe next time, like maybe, but when they get some like chain email that says like, hi, Tim in capital letters, and then like a different font, you know, in the email, they're like, that wasn't real. Yep. <laughs> and I don't feel very good about that. I used to call those, um, you know, back in the day when we get snail mail, I used to call those you suck letters. Like you get yeah. a you suck letter and you yeah. like, great. Yeah. If you're great, we're going to talk to you. If you suck, you're getting this dear John letter, right. you know? Um, as you think about where recruiting is heading next, what do you think is, what do you think is heading next? You know, is, um, TikTok going to take over as the next recruiting platform? Hey, I, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, um, especially around hourly recruitment, because if you think about where people are spending their time and, you know, right now it, it really, I tell people this all the time because people say how hard it is to recruit right now today, 2022. And I go, actually, it's, it's never been easier to recruit. Because we, we actually know almost every white collar person. I mean, uh, probably 85% have some kind of social footprint, social exhaust. So it's never been easier to find them. Now, what's really difficult is to talk them into your crappy job with crappy benefits and crappy location and average pay. That's really hard. But to find them is not hard. <laughs> we know where they're at. Now, the hourly folks are completely different. Um, Facebook has some of them. TikTok has a lot of them. Um, you know, Instagram has a lot of them, but there's been, there's no effective way to go and hourly recruit on those platforms, you know? And so then we're still stuck to the job boards, like indeed and zip and stuff like that to try to do that. And yet there, there has to be a better way. So is TikTok the future of recruitment? They, I mean, they could, they could definitely make a dent if they decided to have a product, you know, that they wanted to sell on there. By the way, if anyone from TikTok's listening, I'll buy, like I, you know, <laughs> like I, I got money in my budget, like let's, let's play around, let's see what happens. Um, and so I do think marketing automation, um, not full-blown CRM. I think, you know, we went through a phase where if you're a big enterprise and you have a team dedicated to your CRM, you can have it be really effective. The reality is, is a, a CRM is too complicated, too complex for a recruiter on a day-to-day -day basis. But what they do need is just real simple uh, recruiting automation. I went into my database. I had 50 you know, of whatever I'm looking for, accountants. And then I could quickly put them into a nurturing campaign that get, that really goes after them, similar to what all the marketing that happens to us in our email right now. And this is not just a mass email, right? This is actual marketing automation that will say, oh, this person responded, this person didn't. The person who responded is going to get this email. The person who didn't is going to get this one. 
And that might sound complex, but it's literally drag and drop the steps, right? So recruiters can actually do that and build one in 10 minutes. And, and now instead of trying to communicate with every candidate one-on-one all day long for 50, I can spend 20 minutes and now communicate with 50 people over the next two weeks and get a really high response rate, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, this has been a great discussion. If someone wants to follow your work and keep in touch with you, what's the best way to do that with all the platforms you're on? Yeah, I mean, connect with me on LinkedIn. Like I, I you know, I do a lot on LinkedIn. Get a lot of people connect with me there, um, or just timsackett.com. You can Google Tim Sackett. Like, I'm the first hundred pages because my SEO is pretty strong. There is there's a truck driver chaplain in Minnesota whose name is Tim Sackett. I'm not the same guy, but it would be awesome if I was that guy. I'm like Tim Sackett, recruiter and truck driver chaplain on the weekends. Um, he's I mean, probably really mad at with me. your side hustle. I mean, we could just add one more thing. Exactly. To it. I think he's really, he probably, if I ever met him, he probably secretly hates me because I stole all of his SEO. He was like, I was Tim Sackett on Google. And now I'm not, I'm just a truck driver chaplain. Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.